Amen. Thanks, Graham. Am I on on that one? Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Ellie, as Graham said. I'm one of our other leaders here. Do you want me to swap onto a lollipop? Or are we all right? Um, We are almost at the end of a letter that Peter has written to encourage his church in a time of persecution. And if you're joining us for the first time this morning, uh, this is the same Peter that was friends with Jesus, that Jesus called to follow him. The same Peter that Jesus said, you're going to be a rock on which I'm going to build my church. And Peter by now is an old man by first century standards. Um, And those he's writing to probably see him as a bit of a first generation veteran. Wow, he was really with Jesus. He really saw all these incredible things that Jesus did. He saw them with his own eyes. We can learn so much from him. And so they look to Peter for instruction as to how that they are going to be the church to this next generation of believers and how those people will be the church to the next generation of believers. But some of that instruction has been really tough. He's been teaching a message about submission and about sacrifice. He's been calling them to live in a way that just doesn't seem to make any sense unless, that is, you have a rock-solid hope in what is to come. It's a lifestyle that will make others ask what this hope is that transforms us to live in that way. And Peter says, always be ready for people to ask because having this hope is going to make you tangibly different from those who don't have it yet. He knows that by worldly standards of looking after number one and of self-promotion and of the pursuit of comfort, that this doesn't make sense. But he also knows that when we have real hope, we'll not only be able to make sense of it, but by the Spirit, we'll be able to live this out too. And this hope is that we get to be with God. We get to be with him in his glory to worship him forever. C.S. Lewis says in the last battle, Death for the believer is only the beginning of the real story. We get to be with God. And the lack of suffering and pain and sickness and the joy and the peace, all that stuff just gets thrown in for free. But that's not the wonderful bit. The wonderful bit will be being face to face with our Lord and Master in worship before him. So our hope is based on the fact that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And if you don't want that, then you don't want what Christ died for. But if you do, then you get to set your hearts on this inheritance to come. And then it becomes impossible not to talk about that and not to share that hope with others. And this family gets to grow bigger and bigger as new people grab hold of this glorious hope that is there for them too. And so then we get to this passage of scripture that we get to look at this morning about how we get to love God's big family well. So let's pray and then we'll open the scriptures together. 
Holy Spirit, I pray, will you fall afresh in this place, fill us to overflowing, equip us as we open up your word, commentate to us on the scripture as we, as we come to open it this morning. Holy Spirit, would you highlight the bits to each of our hearts that you want to impact us today, that you want to grow in us today. We pray, would you give us ears to hear what you are speaking to us. Give us hearts that are ready to respond to what it is that you are leading us to. We thank you for your mercy and the hope we have in you. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 is our passage for this morning. It's going to pop up on the screen behind me, but feel free to read along in your Bibles as we go. Um, To the elders and the flock. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And we're going to work our way through the passage in order this morning. So first the elder, then to the youngers, and then to all of us together. And we could so easily get bogged down in differing opinions about eldership this morning, but I want us to keep our focus this morning on being God's people together. Being God's people that are called to join in his mission to see this world transformed through Jesus' power to change lives. And that means for all of us, regardless of age or gender or how new or how mature we are in faith, all of us get to love God, to love his family and to love his world. And we also get to encourage one another to do likewise. So there's loads for all of us here this morning. I have the immense privilege of serving as part of our senior leadership team here and serving with an incredible team. Graham and Dan and Andrew and Matt, and they're probably going to cringe now as I say this, but it's my honour to serve with them because they are servant-hearted. They love God. They love his people. They love you guys. They love people outside of the church that they're desperate to see join this family. They make sacrifices all the time to serve because they love serving God and their love for you guys flows out of that. I've never really been a part of a team like this before, not sports teams or NHS teams or anything like that, where the, the core thing about them is just to serve together. Nobody's looking to be promoted or glorified over another one. It's about being together and serving well. And that's because we're serving God. And it's our joy and our privilege. This 
team serves voluntarily. I get paid for some of my midweek hours, but none of the others get paid at all. They serve because of what God's placed on their hearts and in love. Nobody gets paid to be here on a Sunday. They're here because they love you and they want to serve you. They want to seek God for you. So I guess I just wanted to take this moment just to honour them, honour these wonderful men that love you and serve you well. And I am so thankful for each and every one of you. And to be able to count you as my friends is just an added bonus. But all of us, get a role in leading others. As soon as we come to know Christ, all of us get to lead one another. We get to share these wonderful bits of wisdom that we read in scripture or the answers to prayer. We get to stand alongside each other and point each other to Jesus. So although lots of this stuff in this passage comes with the title of elders, all of us can grab hold of the things that God wants to maybe challenge our hearts on as we invest in others and we seek to see others flourish in their life and their walk with Jesus and see them come to know Jesus for themselves. So this morning as I speak, be praying, Holy Spirit, stir my heart for who it is that you want me, who it is that you want me to invest into, how you want me to invest in the, the attitude you want me to invest with. But first up, Peter is talking to the elders. And the Greek word presbyteros has three potential meanings. It can mean old man, it can mean church leader, or it can mean government ambassador. But then he goes on to talk about them as shepherds of the flock and says, well, Jesus is the chief shepherd. So it gives us a mighty clue as to what he's up to. And Peter addresses them as a fellow elder. Now remember, he is like the front-ranking apostle of the church. And he's saying, I'm one of you. We're in this together, I get it. I was a witness of the suffering of Christ and I'm also a partaker in the glory to come. He'd even managed to get a little glimpse of what that glory would look like at the transfiguration, but that is most definitely a preach for another day. But Peter has just come off the back of telling them in the bit of scripture that we looked at last week that when judgment comes, it's beginning with God's house tells us that in 1 Peter 4, verse 17. So his call is to make sure that that house is in order. Peter's assuming that these elders are seasoned in faith like him, people that have walked through the challenges of life in a faithful and a godly way, being examples to the flock. And we don't need to have lived through every human experience to shepherd people well through them, but for example, the experience of journeying through a time of suffering, knowing that God is faithful and he is steadfast regardless of our circumstances, enables us to walk that journey through with one another, pointing each other to Jesus. The experience of suffering enables us to empathise well with each other, to share wisdom, but also to be taken seriously. I wonder what experiences you've had that God wants to use you to speak to others through. How is he going to use those things to enable you to care for others well? But we also know that age doesn't always mean wisdom. Um, so spiritual maturity might be a really helpful way for us to look at this. When Paul sends Timothy out to sort out the leaders in the Ephesian church, 
He says to them, the people leading shouldn't be recent converts. Give them time to sink deep roots into God and to grow in faith. But he also encourages Timothy as a young man. In uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Use the gift that God has given you to serve well, Regardless of age, all of us, as we're maturing in faith and our love for him, are called to love his family and love his world as he equips us. Where is it that you feel that God's really stirring your heart and putting you to work? Because as we do that, Jesus is our clearest model of what authentic leadership looks like. He's our chief shepherd. For this reason, we need those who lead in the church to be spending more time in the scripture and praying than reading leadership manuals, prioritizing the cultivation of growing that relationship with Jesus and sharing what he's speaking to each one of us, to those that he's growing around us. That way we grow and he grows. In each of us, it's wonderful. We each get to grow together as family. And that doesn't mean that study and strategy are bad, because actually they are wonderful ways of honouring the calling that he's placed upon us. But our primary focus must be looking to Jesus. That's how we learn to walk in step with his plans. I've just started a book written by David Mathis. Um, It's massively helpful. It's called Rich Wounds, and he talks in it about the pace of love. And he cites the example in Mark chapter 5 of Jairus' daughter, who is at the point of death, and an older woman who is suffering from chronic disease. And um, Jairus has just come to Jesus and said, my daughter's so poorly, you need to come and you need to heal her. And Jesus starts going with her dad. But then a crowd is all around him, and a woman reaches out and she touches the corner of Jesus' garment in faith that she will be healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And you see his disciples, they're like, come on, Jesus. It's urgent, we need to get to Jairus' daughter. You know, he's in a position of power and influence. This is really significant. This is time sensitive, get a move on. Let's get get to Jairus' daughter. And yet Jesus stops. And he gives the opportunity for the woman who has now been healed to come to him and say, it was me, it was me that touched you. And in that moment, Jesus gets to break her free from any shame that she might feel. Had she she stolen her healing by touching him? Jesus gets to love her tenderly as a father, set her free to go and live and serve him in the rest of her life in freedom. He gets that moment for tenderness and for compassion. And then wonderfully, he goes on, And he gets to Jairus' daughter and he raises her from the dead to the glory of his father in heaven. But learning to get that pace right is tough. And we as a team are going to make a heap of mistakes as we try and do that. But we're hungry for the spirit to grow that in us more. Because don't we want leaders that are watching out for what God is doing 
and trying to move at that pace, even when that pace sometimes feels frustrating. Trying to please people all the time is not only impossible, but really unproductive. But trying to please the Lord is not always as popular as you might think. But we will try to lead you with a desire to please Christ alone. But forgive us when we fall into the trap of caring too greatly about other people's opinions of us, because we all will. Have grace for us as your leadership and pray for us as we try to move in step with what God is asking of us. Because as Ephesians 4 tells us, these gifts of pastoring and teaching are within the giftings God gives his church for the purpose of equipping the people of God for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. Because this flock isn't ours. Going back to our passage, we're just caretaking for it. It's committed to our safekeeping by the one who greatly loves his flock. Jesus, the chief shepherd who dies for us. John 10 verse 11 says, Jesus says to his people, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he also lives for us, as it tells us in Hebrews 13, uh, verses 20 to 21, and we're going to come back to that as we come into land later. But as our passage today tells us, he is coming back for his flock. And we, as we lead, will be called to give account for how we have served her. Paul's teaching um, to the church in the account in Acts 20, verse 28, says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus gave his life for the church. Our sacrifice is so small. He values his flock enough to shed his blood for them. Bernard, who Robert Layton quotes in his commentary about this scripture, said, Had I some of that blood poured out on the cross, how carefully I would carry it? And should I not be as careful of those souls that it was shed for? Had I had some of that blood poured out on the cross, how carefully I would carry it. And should I not be as careful of those souls that it was shed for? Because nothing will give us the right motivation for leadership and for caring for others except loving Christ. In John 21, we've kind of revisited here a couple of times during this season, but Peter is restored by Jesus after having denied him. But Jesus says to him, do you love me? And when he says, yes, God, I love you, he says, look after my flock. He says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. Jesus doesn't ask Peter, do you have the best strategic mind? Or are you the most eloquent speaker? No, he, he asks him, do you love me? And that's when he tasks him with shepherding his people. Because the way we love one another and are prepared to serve one another reflects the way that we are prepared to love and serve Jesus. 
So jumping back into our passage then, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He says, don't be reluctant. Don't be covetous or have the wrong type of ambition. There's no competition in the work of God when we're serving at the will of God. But rather be willing, be eager to serve, be good examples in obeying the call of Jesus on you. A joyful, humble willingness to serve is a long way of just saying love. Love people well. The best shepherds aren't focused on how they can be great shepherds. They're focused on how they best look after their sheep. So this isn't about being some kind of religious lecturer who rocks up once a week and passes on some little nuggets of wisdom from scripture. But it's about being a shepherd who's seeking to feed the flock through God's word. It's about leading the flock to healthy pastures, the rich food of the word that people can feed themselves from and grow. It's focused on the potential dangers and disasters that could befall the sheep, using experience and, and godly wisdom to check out the landscape for pits and predators and plants that could poison them. But it's also thinking about those gentler needs to nurture the flock, to really flourish. It's not about nagging and punishing and bossing about because those sheep will be unhealthy and unhappy. It's not about dominating dictatorship, but loving leadership, being an example, laying ourselves down for one another, modelling these things well. We know that these things are caught and not taught so often. How are the lives we're living reflecting our love for Jesus? Because to be real, really humble, shows great strength in a shepherd. It can be exhausting and a pretty thankless task, but thankfully we have the ultimate example of not lording it over others in Jesus, in his true greatness. He shows us practical examples of loving well. You know, Jesus, who grabbed a towel and wrapped it round his waist and washed his disciples' feet in an act of ultimate service. We know that we all were those sheep that had gone astray and the good shepherd saw us out. He humbled himself and he came for us. He found us and he brought us back into the fold. And as we mature and lead others, we get sent out to seek out those wayward sheep, to intentionally invest in pointing them to Jesus, for him to bring them back into the fold. And as leaders, sometimes that means disciplining in love. It means removing the briars that have got stuck in the wool. It means trying to understand the different traits and the different needs of the flock. It's a never-ending task that needs spiritual equipping. So pray, pray for all the many wonderfully gifted leaders in this church as you lead one another. Pray for yourself and your roles in your family and your workplace that God will lead you in loving and serving others well. It means we get to grab hold um, of the way that Jesus, he taught big crowds, didn't he? But he also was incredibly intentional about investing in a few. 
we as leaders need to be investing and mobilizing a whole host of emerging leaders. And it is our joy and our privilege to do that. And then they in turn release others. You know, it's one of our values, isn't it? We release each other. We love each other. We support each other. That's how the church gets to multiply because people get built up in the spirits that God places in them. And they're ready to go and bless others and grow those things up in each other. That's why God asks us to be family. Modeling this authentic leadership where leaders live to serve the church and not the other way around. And for us to serve willingly. But we need the power of the Spirit to do that. And then we get to our next section, which is about the crowns. And it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I'm pretty sure when we see him in all of his glory face to face, we're not going to have any desire for personal glory. This will be the crown of pure glory. Glory that's not tainted by pride or sinful vanity. When we get to acknowledge that everything that we accomplished was by his grace and his power. We had this verse uh, a couple of weeks ago, but 1 Peter 4 verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of the Lord. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What a joy it's going to be to lay down those crowns at his feet, saying that he alone is worthy. Okay, next bit. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Now, regardless of age, Peter is encouraging us, strive for godly character, strive for God to fill you, the spirit of God to fill you and transform you. So that it's not in your own strength and your own striving, but in his. But we have to be open to that transformation. We're to have this same attitude that he's called the elders to as we submit. The question is not how to achieve church leadership, but how to acquire the character that a leader needs. And humility tops the list. He's saying, likewise, as the elders are called to, so you that are younger, all of you, submit yourselves to those who are spiritually mature Submit yourselves to God because that maturity will give a wisdom in loving others well. The call on the elders is to love the youngers in a sacrificial and a servant-hearted and a Jesus-like, God-honoring way. It's much easier to submit to those that we know love us and want God's best for us, isn't it? And finally, it says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The bit that's for all of us, clothe yourselves. Previous comments in, in Peter's letter have been about, you know, what are women wearing for beauty? He's saying, if you want to wear something that's going to make you stand out, let it be humility. All of you. Let the uniform of this church be humility. We live in a world where there's self-promotion and self-belief and pushing me first as the fabric that people are putting on to succeed. But we're called to wear something different. So be humble. There's so much in Peter's letters, isn't there, about submitting to others. He's saying, now submit to God and to each other. Philippians 2 paints us this incredibly beautiful picture of what humility is. 
saying that we should, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who came in humble obedience. Humility is not demeaning ourselves. It's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Jesus said, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Because God hates pride. It's pride that caused us to rebel against him and think that we knew better. It's one of the evidences of pride is frustration at God, frustration at his timing, frustration at the way he acts, as if we know better. It's finding those humble clothes a little bit too drab, and we'd quite like to be recognised and honoured, thank you very much, even though glory belongs to the Lord. And we know that there's that in all of us. Pride doesn't just break rank with God, it sets up a whole rebellion against him to take him off his throne and try and sit in that throne in his place. It's the vain rivalry that comes out with self-importance and pride. We need to be aware because humility is also easy to counterfeit. The genuinely humble are not seeking to be seen as humble. It's just noticeable about them. To be low in our own eyes and comfortable with being seen that way by others is by nature what it means to be, humili- uh, to be humble, to be living in humility. But let's be honest, this is really hard, isn't it? It's really difficult. Pride is a big enemy. St. Augustine says, that which first overcame man is the last thing he overcomes. So how are we going to get there? We need a mighty move by his spirit to not get puffed up or preoccupied with other people's opinions of us or our status, to make an honest assessment of ourselves and ask for God to move and to bring us breakthrough and freedom, to see the good in others, to have a hunger to pray for it, to pray that God's going to change our hearts that God will change our hearts to do everything for him and for his glory and not for our own. Because the antidote to pride is the grace of God that he will give when we yield to him. And the evidence of that is how we yield to each other. He gives grace to the humble. We have it. We have God's grace. We live in it. We stand in it. But there is extra grace for us to live in a way that desires to please Christ. With humble hearts that are aware of our need for that grace and acknowledge its receipt with thankfulness in honouring him with everything. To be a people that come to God in our weakness, seeking his strengthening, not for our own selfish purposes, but for his, to be, to be doing this, to be on mission with him where he is working. Keeping our eyes fixed on his glory. Being those invisible leaders whose focus is to focus others on Jesus and not themselves. Letting go of ourselves and grabbing hold of Jesus. For those of you that are kind of tracking with Lectio as we're approaching Easter, one of the recurring prayers has been, 
May my love be rekindled that I might live sacrificially and wholly for you. So as Emily and the band come back to join me, I want to read that section that I mentioned just briefly from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 to 21 to you. I ask you to seek God. What is it that his spirit wants to be stirring in you this morning? What is it that he, you know, who is it that he's asking you to invest in? What, What areas of pride might he be challenging you that he just wants to start gently dealing with to break you free? How's he asking you to love and serve this family and be open to his leading in that? Hebrews 13 says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought, you, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us, that you are for us, that you bring us transformation, that we don't struggle and strive in our own strength, but you want to pour yourself into us by the wonderful Holy Spirit. As you dwell in us, you will change us and you will transform us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So we pray in this time as we respond, lead us, Lord, prod us, encourage us, challenge us. We don't want to leave here the same as we came. We want to leave here people equipped for your mission with you, people whose hearts are seeking out your will for these communities that you are sending us back to. People that are hungry to see what it is that you want to do and how you want to use us in the process. So we pray, Lord, speak, move, challenge us, we pray in this time. Let our hearts come vulnerably before you now, we pray, Lord. Amen.